Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area, where it never rains, but we are not a fictional island. I am John Negroni, the film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com, and from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which uh, I do believe is a fictional place. That That is true. Uh, he is a news and entertainment writer over at Collider, Israel Ashton. Hey, I feel you. You have been to Pittsburgh before, right? Not with no, me. No, I've never. But... I've never been. That's why I'm pretty sure it really? doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I thought you. I thought I've been sure everywhere you... in Pennsylvania. I mean, I've been, you know, Philadelphia, Harrisburg. I mean, I grew up in Virginia. You guys are right there. A little, a little cousin. Sure. Yeah, I thought. I don't know. I thought you'd have been, you know, several years prior had been to the city, the bird, like the airport. But I don't okay. count that really. I mean, uh, okay. So you, let's you be have, honest. you have the same relationship to uh, Pittsburgh as I do to Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never been to Las Vegas either. I mean, I feel like oh, you and I are going to meet the there someday, but yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never even we been do. to the airport. Oh, really? It's, yeah, um, that's true. Did I tell you about when I was uh, had a layover there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the whole story about yeah, it. Yeah, they had. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a story. They they have casinos and stuff in the the airport. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I mean, how could they not? Right. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Played a few games. I was there for like eight hours. So I might. You as well. can say that you gambled in Vegas. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can't I can't talk about it beyond yeah. that because right. What well, yeah. And, um. Yeah, I'm already breaking the, the cardinal rule of uh, Vegas. Yeah. You know, but such as it is. People always say, John, why haven't you been to Vegas? I'm like, well, no one ever tells me how it is. <laughs> so <laughs> is it any good? Well. <laughs> Well, that makes uh, me wonder about these dang uh, cinema scores. How are they coming out if people aren't talking about what happens in Vegas? I guess it's all anonymous, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or they count theaters as like international waters, which I do. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. This week on the show, we're talking about the Banshees of Inishirin, which uh, we're a bit late on. Uh, why, why, wait, wait. Why are we so late on this review of the Banshees of Inishirin, which has been out for a while? Hmm. Well, it's because either fittingly or ironically... Mm-hmm. I have friends, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see this movie with said friends. Mm-hmm. And John was like, why don't you just go by yourself like a loser you are? <laughs> well, and no, I'm I like, didn't say that. I said like a loser like me. Oh. Well, I read between the lines and assumed that you were <laughs> uh, putting me in said company, and I was right, like, right. John, can I not see a pristine, acclaimed film with my my friends and coworkers? And you said no. Yeah. But I did nice. anyway. I, well, yeah, I don't control you, and I, I have learned not to even try. So, But you did see it eventually, and uh, I knew we had to talk about it. I mean, I knew even if it was going to be late. Now, this is a weird week to do this one, just because, I mean, look, let's be honest. Banshees of Inishirin, talking about this movie when we have two big movies out this weekend. Maybe not at the box office, but uh, yeah, The Menu, and She Said. Now, she said, I, I still haven't seen it. I wanted to see it over the weekend. Got a little too, bu- right. a little too busy. Uh, it's screener season. So I'm kind of catching up on some things for awards. But I, I do plan to see, she said, sometime this week. And the menu, which I saw last mm. week, and I enjoyed quite a bit. And I, I want to talk about it on a bonus episode of the show, which might be out by the time most of you are listening to this, I imagine. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah uh, she said bombed. Pretty it bad. bombed pretty bad. It only made like what two two point two million dollars, thirty two right. million dollar budget, and yeah. uh, Variety came out and it was just like, "What's going on? Mm-hmm. Awards movies aren't moving with audiences." It's like, where have you been? <laughs> like, right. It's kind of the exception, not the rule, for these movies to not do that well. Honestly, people yeah. are used to watching them on streaming at this point. What are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's tough with this one because it's it's kind of a hard sell 
by design. Yeah, who wants like, to watch this movie? It's about Harvey Weinstein. Who right. who is sort of like, ah, oh, finally get the kids a babysitter. Like, let's right. no, you know what? We're bringing the kids with us. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it doesn't look super cinematic either. So it's not really the type of film that you know, at least for like a, a casual not casual moviegoer like myself, but someone who can sympathize with a casual moviegoer. Uh, sure. I can understand, you know, like if you need something grand, that's something like, Oh, I like, I can't watch this at home. I have to go to the movies to see this. And you're going to choose between like black Panther, Wakanda forever. She said, it's, you know, it's probably going to be black Panther. Well, uh, somebody might even look at this as like, it has Carrie Mulligan. Right. And somebody might look like, well, Hey, promising young woman did pretty well. But I mean, look at the two different movies side by side. One of them has that quality of like, I want to see this in a theater. I don't know what's going to happen. This is this is actually intriguing. Given Whereas, that uh, Promising Young Woman didn't really get much of a theatrical rollout, given that it came out in twenty twenty. True, but it, at least it like has uh, it did have like an awards push, right? So like they were sort of like yeah. releasing it right before the pandemic. But I do know that with uh, what she said. Like most people are going to look at that and be like, well, I know how it ends. And it's like, why do I need to see this in a theater? It, it is that kind of movie that like would do play better, you know, just kind of watching it on a streaming service. I don't understand why it costs $32 million to make. Haven't seen it. Right. But none of the marketing material has given me any indication that it's a $32 million movie. I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to rag. Good. I heard yeah, it's I better saying, than it looks. I mean, I'm not trying to rag on the film. I know it's, uh, you know, it's a very surely powerful film and i'm you know curious to see it to be sure but i can understand uh, quite admittedly why it's not you know laying the box office by a storm right now right compared to something like the menu which to me that is like a movie to go see at the movies right it's a great date movie you it's know i saw it with flick. my wife i mean it, it it's it, yeah i mean i'm gonna talk about it with uh it's a food movie it's a food movie. It's delicious. It's a feast. No, I mean, it, it's simple and it's clean cut. I mean, it's just you watched. Uh, I, I just watched a little bit of the trailer and I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? This is this is kind of intriguing. I know you saw the trailer a billion, uh, billion times, <laughs> but um, I could nearly recite it by heart at this point. That's pretty funny to me. But no, it's a good movie. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I hope you see it soon because, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's not like my favorite movie of the year or anything like that, but it's certainly a movie I, I walked out of being like, you know what? I could see people enjoying that. And I think that one did better uh, at the box office. I don't know what, how much it made, but I think it did okay. Didn't that make uh, 15 million at the at the box office this weekend? I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers for it, but uh, that's how I, I know it's one of the biggest searchlight openings in a while. I was trying to figure out exactly uh, what was the biggest since, but I can't, uh, can't I'm bringing it, it up right now since, you know, there we go. Yeah. Worldwide, it made 15 million. Nine of that is domestic. Yeah. That's solid enough. Uh, I don't know what its budget is. I have a feeling it's, it's less than 32 million. Cause it's just not that kind of movie. Like I'd be kind of surprised if actually, if it was more than 20, but let me see here. Now, you know what? Budget is 30 million. That's kind of surprising to me, but hmm. uh, I mean, it'll make that back based on this sure. opening weekend. You, you know, know what movie uh, I think is going to bomb now? What? Strange World. You think? Yeah. So I saw Strange World last week. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm working on my review for it. It's going to be out uh, before this episode of the show comes. So people will be able to find that on In Between Drafts and everything. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't think that movie's going to do well. Like, I would be shocked. I mean, if a movie like Encanto last year around Thanksgiving time did not do well until it was on Disney Plus. I mean, it just kind of, it was a whimper until it came on Disney plus And then that song kind of like pushed it to having more relevance. 
this movie i just think is gonna disney doesn't care about it at all like i i just i watched it and i was like this is okay and everything but i just don't see people coming out for it i could be i could be totally eating my words next well, week but yeah i don't know i really don't know i i have no uh projection for this film because i haven't really been keeping track of it uh but i will say that it is coming out yeah. at an interesting time for the disney corporation that's right yeah you know as we record this we're, we're recording this the morning after the big news that uh Bob Chapek, uh, the previous CEO, he was the CEO of Disney as of like, what, 2020. He took over for Bob Iger. Uh, Bob Iger retired like right before COVID. Uh, a lot of people speculate that he kind of saw COVID coming, right? Because it was around the time when it was like really picking up in China and all that. And, and you know, we weren't doing like lockdowns yet. But yeah, Iger stepped down as CEO. Chapek, who for years had been like the main guy at the parks, Right. Where, which is where the company makes its most money. I mean, that's the bread and butter of Disney is its theme park resorts. Chapek became CEO. And then I think they, they brought Iger back like momentarily or like he kind of was in an advisor position. I forget how all that went down, uh, but then he went away and now he's back. Uh, so Bob Iger is now CEO of Disney again. And uh, a lot of people are having some uh, interesting thoughts about what's going on there. I, I think that uh, <laughs> I think it's clear that Chapek was was and kind of always has been a really terrible like executive for disney oh yeah i mean, I mean even in the parks like to me like th there's some really great uh th there's some really great information out there like documentary stuff about what his tenure has done to the disney parks which i don't know will how much you've really done the disney world thing i don't think you've done it a lot right it's you can i tell. have you can tell never been to disney world okay and or disneyland huh no not by See, choice. I, it's a long story. Not by choice? Yeah. Have I not told well, you about Well, that's the this? thing. The next time you're... I don't know. The next time you're okay. in LA, you, me, okay. and Matt Serafini, yeah. we got to do it. We got to do it at Disneyland, just the boys. Okay. Leave well, the here's, the thing. here's the thing about Disney World, is that uh, you remember back in like the um, like mid to late 90s, they had like those promotional VHS tapes for Disney yeah, World I remember the Michael Eisner era pretty well. Sure. Do you remember those videos, though? The promotional videos? Where yeah, they, like they're like, like, they're like, they're like VHS tapes that were like an hour-long promotion or whatever for Disney the World. Like, yeah, like yeah, look how yeah. awesome Disney World is. My parents, I didn't have those tapes, but I've seen the, the YouTube videos because okay. they're hilarious. Yeah. Sure, I don't know. In any case. There's the one with uh, the Whose Line Is It Anyway guys. It's amazing. I don't know. And Richard I, Kind is in it. Uh, well, that, that sounds amazing. I, I hope I've seen that. If I haven't, I'm going to have to look that up. But um, in any case, uh, my parents, you know, recognize i was uh, a film fiend and i loved watching disney vhs tapes they were like here's disney stuff let's just give it to him let's what let him watch it and i watched you know these you know let's basically call them for what they are propaganda for the parks and i was like yeah this looks great let's go to this place propaganda for the park it's advertising <laughs> propaganda for the parks advertising yeah in any case uh you know they they you know, made it very enticing for me as a young, you know, six-year-old or whatever. And I was like, yeah, let's go to these parks. Let's go. This looks great. You've sold me on it. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're not going to go. I'm like, what do you mean we're not going to go? You, you keep giving you, why do you, so why you give me these tapes? So now you're just bitter and sour about it. I but think they kept you have giving me, me the tapes. 
you know, and yeah, I was yeah. like, I still want to go. Like you, you, you sold I don't me think, on it. See, I don't think you've mentioned the tapes before. You've mentioned that like you wanted to go to Disney World, and your parents told you how great it was, but they were just like, "Well, we're not, we're never going to go, kid. <laughs> like, too bad. We're going to have like a couple more kids and worry about that." Yeah, I mean, so that's at the like. end of my relationship with wanting to go to Disney World, but I got to save something for episode three hundred. There you go. Yeah, we're on episode two ninety nine right now, and I don't even know what we're going to talk about. For episode 300. I mean, obviously we have Fablemans, we have uh, Bones and All, which I don't know if I'm going to see in time. We have Spirited, we have Strange World. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, what are there's we, a lot uh, to talk. What are we talking about for 300? Are we doing something special for that? I, we're doing the Thanksgiving episode. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited too. 300 episodes of the show. Yeah. It's a great milestone. Not a lot of podcasts make it this far. Yeah, and we're bringing, uh, bringing Maverick Hines back. That's my... Don't say that, because then we won't do it and people will get sad. <laughs> He's not coming back. He has a baby. Uh, uh, such a cute little baby. Yes, very much so. Um, but yeah, so very, very interesting week. That's that's all I wanted to bring up in terms of, There was also Disenchanted came out. Um, oh, yeah. Which uh, I haven't seen Disenchanted yet, but mm, I heard it's neither. garbage. Really? I, I've yes. heard uh, mixings. I've heard it's pretty bad, but uh, I... you know. I have only really expressed interest in one performance in that film. It is fellow podcaster Griffin Newman from the Blank Check podcast. Oh, he does like the squirrel. Uh, um, I think it's a chipmunk or something. But Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I loved Spirited. It's not a great movie, but I loved it. I loved it mm. so much. I watched movie, it and I... You, you vouch for it as far as... It, I vouch it, it for it. It does exist. It's it not, exists... You know. it, it, yeah, you have this thing where like Apple TV plus movies and shows don't exist unless you Whoa. say so. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Don't exclude it to <laughs> Apple. I also believe this about Peacock shows. So it don't, you know, don't limit me. Paramount plus is like a totally different dimension. You're just like, oh, those can't exist. Like they can't even, like, don't even bother uh, speculating. No, but Spirited does exist. And it's, so here's, here's what's working against it, right? It's two hours long and it stars Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. And it's another Christmas Carol adaptation. And yet, I actually think it's very good. Like, the music is really good. I, I actually thought, I was watching it, and I was like, you know what? I would watch this on Broadway. And I, I think it really works because Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds are who, like, who they are. And it's like a movie that kind of gets that. And it, it subverts the Christmas Carol thing, I think, in an actually kind of fun way. And so I was... I was into it. That's my little mini recommendation. If you're kind of looking for a holiday movie, it's the only holiday new holiday movie I've seen in 2022 so far that I've uh, genuinely well, enjoyed. Here's my thing about this mm-hmm. movie. And it's all hypothetical because I still don't believe this movie exists. But yeah. uh, I'm at an impasse with these two stars where I really like, you know, Will Ferrell. And I feel like he is due for a comeback. This is his best see, movie in a while. I was going to say, it, it's been a while since he's been in the movies, right? Like, you know, it's like... He's been what, doing that, TV stuff. The House? Was that the last, like, starring role for him before this? I starring role maybe let me double check his filmography because yeah i I think he's done something since then that was what 2017 he's going to be in barbie but that hasn't come out yet uh he did that apple tv plus show it doesn't exist with paul red oh yeah eurovision okay yeah that was that was okay yeah you're Um, i like eurovision quite a bit Yeah, you like that one more than me you're a little bit more sympathetic to the uh to the will ferrell vehicles i think than i am because you actually didn't you like the house too uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, okay. I didn't love it, but I thought that was uh, you know, pretty bad. So there was also, uh, uh, yeah. I found it funny enough. Uh, there was also downhill. 
forgot about that. Oh one. yeah. So two, you know, I, I, he's not making his most memorable films, I guess. <laughs> at least in right. my view. But uh, you know, I want you know, I want him to come back. I like Will Ferrell. It's been we're at a dearth yeah. for. He's a producer you know, for the menu. I just love oh, yeah? it. Huh. Uh, yeah, and he produced Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah, well, uh, he's a producer on Succession, so he's probably tight with the you know the director. Mark Mylod, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so in any case, but you know, I I like Will Ferrell. I like you know, I want him to you know kind of be in movies again. But I am so. But then there's Ryan Reynolds. Damn you, sick, yeah, and tired of Ryan Reynolds right now, and I just you know I could not care. Like I don't, I don't want to watch you know Red Notice. I don't want to watch uh, Red Notice 2. Even if, what if the red is the Santa Claus costume? I I don't, I don't know. I mean, was there another movie that came out recently with Ryan Reynolds that I think I ignored? Adam Project? No, I saw that one. That was, that was a big old turd. Uh, Yeah, what's, what else is, I I don't remember. Yeah, there is something kind of recent, but. uh, I thought there was something. I just didn't watch it because I'm just like, I'm getting, I, I like his stuff from like, 2010s like where he was kind of experimenting and doing cool things like the voice and buried and mississippi grind but now he's just a brand and now he just does the shame stick in every movie and i'm tired of it he he should he has a cameo in bullet train that's true that's the only other thing he's done since adam project and red Notice. i thought there was something guy. else but maybe oh maybe i'll sing a free guy oh well yeah but that was way that was before red Notice. i know i know but i guess it was after red notice but or was it before Red Notice, I can't keep track of this stuff. It's anymore. before Red Notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Notice was, I think, more the fall. Free Guy was the summer, and right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- there was also Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard that year, which uh, you know, yeah. I-, I think that yeah, this era of Ryan Reynolds hasn't been my favorite either. I'll give you that. Although I, I like him- Free Guy and Adam Project fine. So yeah, I don't know what that was about. You like Sean Levy <laughs> a lot. You I guess. like Detective Pikachu, and I, I did. didn't. So you know what? That's we, true. We, we we trade we trade hands. Yeah, when it when it suits. So if it's his voice, I'm cool with it. If it's his face, I'm I'm tired of it. <laughs> and that applies also to the voices. <laughs> Probably his best movie. No, well, I mentioned the voices. I I said that period of his time, like of his career, and then right, right, yeah, shortly before that, that, he did uh, the Nines, which I think is still one of his best performances. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Um, you know, I I I take no fault with his whole career. It's just this recent time, I'm getting sick of it. Okay. Okay, you don't have to yell anymore. Uh, we, we hear you. We hear you loud and clear. I'm representing Hollywood in this instance. Um, we'll stop making money just to sure. make you happy. Will is he making? Is, are these making money though? They're all going to streaming. I guess so. I mean, I, I, that's a good point. But he's making money off the deals. So, oh, that's uh, and, and this there's is, there is spirited, which I, I think you know probably didn't yeah. probably one of the biggest like movie deal in the world. But uh, I I think it's a mm. a nice little bright spot in his filmography lately just sure. my opinion i don't think you sure. would agree um no, i'm i'm happy for you i'm how you ha- i'm happy yeah. you have this in your life that brings joy and i had that this week I, I watched uh wednesday the the new netflix series i watched 1899 but although i have only an episode or two into 1899 and i heard it's that... like heavily plagiarized oh that's not the yellowstone prequel then no, this is the this is like a Bermuda Triangle sort of drama. Oh, from that's people who the made dark. dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I heard that apparently they were totally ripped off like this uh, this other person, and so I, I I can't say anything more about it because I don't want to speak off off mark here. But uh, yeah, there's some rumors flying around about that, so I don't want to promote it. Eighteen eighty three is a show I was thinking of. Ah, I see, I see. Um, I do I do also at some point I I, I want to, I'm going to see the Wonder. So I just got my screening for that. 
Um, oh, yeah. The Florence Pugh thing. That's on uh, Netflix. It's quite good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I also want to see uh, the inspection. Been meaning to see that. Oh, yeah. Did that come out? Uh, I think that's in limited release right now. Uh, okay. I remember hearing about it. It was a TIFF movie, wasn't it? I think. I think it was. It was, was either TIFF or New York Film Festival. Okay. It looks like it's going to hit theaters wide next week. So it's coming okay. up. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so Glass last- Onion's also coming out. Glass Onion. Is that what we're going to do for number 300? Maybe. Could be. I mean, maybe for 300, we'll do like a classic episode of the show where we review mm. five movies. I think we probably have to and probably and it could be like three hours long. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm cool with it. One hour for each 100 episodes of Cinemaholics. Um, all right. But that, so we don't end up spending in three mm. hours on this episode. Let's get to. Yeah, we didn't uh, even review. talk about how two episodes of The Chosen season three made $10 million this weekend. I don't even know what that's about. That's a uh, show about Jesus. Okay. I, okay. I, I, okay. I, I do not know anything about this. <laughs> it made $10 million. Dollars. It made, you know, the triple the amount office? of money that, yeah, the box office, triple the box that. office intake of She Said. Hmm. That's pretty is it, amazing. Is it more than triple? Um, hmm? I, no, 2.2 2, 2 million. No, you, it's uh, four times, I guess, the yeah. budget, it, the, the increase. You get what I mean. What a time to be the son of God. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Let's talk about the Banshees of Inisherin. So Banshees of Inisherin. This is a sort of black comedy. We haven't talked about one of those in a week. Uh, I, I'm joking, obviously, because I think the last one we talked about was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Anyway, um, this is the fifth film directed and written by Martin You want to do McConaug- that one again, John? <laughs> 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 sorry my uh my sense of humor was a little bit too uh, slow yeah. on the uptake there anyway banshees yeah, yeah. <laughs> of inishirin is the fifth film directed and written by martin mcdonough who uh last time we saw him was with three billboards outside ebbing missouri but also famous playwright I, I like to think that with three billboards outside ebbing missouri he he got to be the oscar villain for a year right uh people really did not want that movie to succeed and it kind of didn't uh, even though I think like what Frances McDormand got her Oscar and then people were like, oh, if she hadn't gotten it, then the nomad land, it wouldn't have, it would have been a bigger triumphant moment, whatever, who cares? Uh, but yeah, so he is a British Irish play, uh, playwright. Let me make sure I get that right. And I, I actually kind of think th- this movie has a lot more in common with three billboards than some people might readily assume because three billboards is kind of like this preachy like hey america here's what's up about racism kind of movie and uh banshees of inishirin obviously is more to his roots you know takes place in ireland fictional island off the coast of ireland takes place in the 1920s but both of these movies are about how loneliness and depression can be rooted atmospherically in a fictional place and black humor is used to break the tension like I don't, I don't think I'm off base there, right? Like, I feel like there's there's also like get what you're one female saying. character and a sea of male characters. Right. No, I think there is some truth to that. And I think it is uh, it is pretty fitting uh, for a number of reasons why this is a follow-up to Three Billboards. But did you say this is his fifth film or his fourth film? Fifth film. No, it's his fourth film. It's fifth film. No. First film was in Bruges. Second film was Seven Psychopaths. Third film was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And fourth film is The Banshees of Aishiran. I think he did a short film. He did a he short film called short Six film. Shooter, which is, is a short, but not a feature. This is his I didn't say feature. feature film. 
It is fourth feature film. It's his fifth yeah. film. Um, yeah, I just uh, yeah, Are, you're a fan of In Bruges, I know, and Seven Psychopaths. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, In Bruges more so than Seven Psychopaths, I would say. How about you? Uh, I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths, but yes, big fan of In Bruges. Uh, that said, I'm out. I'm as big a fan as anybody anybody can get of Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. I love these guys. When Brendan Gleeson was like announced as like somebody who's going to be on SNL as a host, you better believe I watched that episode of SNL like immediately. And it was quite good. It's like the only good episode of the season so far, I think. I meant to watch it. And then I heard they did like a Try Guys parody. And I was like, nah. Yeah, that one's not as good. The one that was good is like he's he pretends to be like a high schooler and he like confesses it to his friends. It's it's genuinely pretty funny. That actually Um, sounds kind of funny. It it is funny. He's they're all like hanging out after like a party, and he's just like, "I have to admit something. I'm a 67 year old Irishman." <laughs> they're like, "What? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, you're not. We were just doing drugs." And he's just like, "Those were like his like age pills." Anyway, yeah, yeah, no, it actually sounds pretty funny. We're checking out. We're yeah. checking out. Uh, so the the setup of this movie is so so. I said in my review of this, it is like fittingly mundane to like the setting. Like the setting is this very mundane dull like everybody just kind of runs a farm there are very few people who live here it's kind of like this foggy place where everybody does the same thing over and over again and the inciting incident is just basically colin farrell's character patrick wants to go hang out with his best friend and all of any sharon brendan gleason's character colin and he goes to him and wants to hang out with him and he's like i don't want to be your friend anymore that is the inciting incident of this movie it's just this guy who's just like, I, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And then that's that's where the movie goes. And I want to be careful about how much else I say, because for me, I watched this like not really knowing like what kind of movie this was going to be. I just knew Martin McDonough was in it. I just knew these two boys. I didn't know if it was going to be another in Bruges. I didn't know if, I didn't know if it was going to be something totally different. And I, I love the reveals of like, oh, this is what we're doing. And so I, I will say like Colm is like a fiddler. He is depressed. He wants to like leave some kind of lasting legacy because he feels like his life is in slow motion. There is a civil war going on in Ireland at this moment. It's 1923. So there is obviously this like clear purposeful metaphor going on here. And uh, I'll just say right at the top, I think this movie is really great. It's one of my favorites of the year. It's in my top 10. I might end up slotting it in my top five. I just think it's extremely well done. I think what I like the most about this movie is that it takes... It takes an anxiety that I think a lot of people have, but is never really brought to film because it's not inherently cinematic, but it makes it cinematic just through the sheer like force of will. These two charismatic actors who aren't even being that charismatic. And that's the thing I like the most about movies in this genre, the sort of award season genre is when you're able to take a very serious subject matter and just infuse it with like a, a huge amounts of watchability where like, I think anybody can watch this and be really intrigued by it. Not everyone's going to love it, but I think that a lot of people are going to watch it and just be like, ah, you know, that was interesting and like have a real conversation about it afterward. And I, I hope we're about to have a real conversation, Will, because I've been dreading you watching this movie as much as I want you to watch it because uh, I'm ready for my heart to be broken. I'm ready for you to be like, you know what, John? I don't I don't like you anymore. We're not, mm-hmm. not going to be friends because you of your thought, opinion on Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. You thought a fight would ensue. I'd stop talking to you. We wouldn't be able to do episode 300 of this podcast yes. because right. I was, uh, you know, fiddling 
and making music or whatever. <laughs> right. I, have, I, mean, I do play a, I don't know if I ever told you this. I, I played the violin for 12 years. You've told me a couple times and you that always I, preface it like that. You're like, you know, John, I don't know if I ever told you this. That, I don't know. Cause I don't really bring it up all that often, but you don't bring uh, it up often, but yeah, it's, it's slipped out. Under, have I brought it up on the show though? Or have I just told you that in private? I think you brought it up on the show at least once, okay. but I know you brought it up in private. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause we I, talked about music. Usually like when I'm like playing like, my music or whatever when we're yeah. you're like can we just start the show now yeah yeah somebody do <laughs> <laughs> um that's my impression of your music uh any case i was talking about my real music like my instrument music oh. <laughs> like just playing a song oh i yeah, see yeah. i see it's been a while uh, since i broke the ukulele house right there yeah i was gonna say that was more of a 2020 thing you were just kind of just like you know ponderously play the ukulele for five minutes while i'm just sitting here with my <laughs> mic in hand just waiting for you to speak <laughs> oh, or i would play like the recess theme song yeah, yeah, yeah. i had yeah. a nightmare last night that my oh. this is my so i have an ukulele collection and this ukulele in particular is my most cherished one because it's my low g string and i had a nightmare that the string broke and i kind of panicked and it was yeah harshest nightmare i've had in years but anyway anyway banshees of ed sheeran Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yes, Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Any Sheeran. Um, Yeah, so I think I I forget if we did a review together for Three Billboards. Uh, I'll look it up because it was during the Cinemaholics Cinemaholics era. Right. It seems like something we talked about, but I feel like I have to assume my thoughts were kind of muddled on the film at the time because I remember feeling very back and forth on the film. I still walk away kind of mixed on that movie. Because I think Martin McDonough's strengths can often be seen in his direction of performances, his awareness of place and identity, and like you said, that inherent sense of strife and loneliness and you know grief and depression that characters can feel, conflicted with heightened violence, and you know this kind of you know mix of highs and lows that these characters experience, and nearly kind of. Uh, uh, cartoonish fashions at the time. Certainly, I think that's more so in uh, Seven Psychopaths and in, and in Bruges and compared to uh, Three Billboards in this film. But yeah, I real, just, real I quick, like, let me tell you, yeah. I found the episode where we talked about Three Billboards. It's sure. Cinemaholics episode number 45. So, mm-hmm. you know, nearly 200 and over 250 episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and we talked about, speaking of episodes where we talked about five movies, here we go. Yeah. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh the yeah, the greatest right. shame, the greatest showman. Yeah, call me by your name. Oh, the wow. marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the killing of a sacred deer, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We talked about it, all of that stuff. And you wow. know how long this episode is? Three hours. And no, it's an hour and nineteen minutes. Mm. It's about the length of when we just talked about Black Panther: mm. Wakanda Forever. Yeah, which is amazing. I love it. Oh wow! What? what but I don't. I don't know for sure. Show. I see. I, that's the thing, though. I don't know for sure if we talked about uh, three billboards like you and me. It might have been one of those things where one of us did and the other didn't. Yeah. So that's possible. Yeah. But I think my my big issues with that film is that also I think Mark McDonough, Martin McDonough did not really have a clear. I think he knew about America in the abstract. I think he was able to incorporate his themes therein. But like I felt like like the geography of that town wasn't as thought through. I feel like his identity of American ide- idealism and uh, you know, it, it just felt like his 
conception of America was definitely an outsider looking in and it felt exactly, yeah, impartial yeah. to me for that reason. And I felt like he was trying to kind of mask his, uh, his outsider, uh, lack of awareness with like, you know, kind of broader comedy and just like, you know, kind of some edgier material that, you know, was kind of hit and miss comparatively. And this movie is a lot more, I think, focused and toned down and closer to his roots as far as a playwright. And I think that was definitely for the better. Like, I think this movie is a noted improvement over three billboards. I think it has uh, a lot of the same ideas at place, a lot of the same ideas at heart, but it feels a lot more concentrated. It feels a lot more uh, rooted in a uh, filmmaker's identity here. And I think the performances are a lot more keyed in and a lot more uh, intensely nuanced in a way that I, I feel like they've lingered with me a lot more than three billboards did where that one, it just, I don't know, it just felt like everyone was kind of doing different things a lot of the time. Like I remember Sam Rockwell's performance didn't really jive as well with France McDormand's performance i guess kind of felt like everyone's doing their own little thing uh in this everything's kind of keyed in in a lot more thoughtful and engaged way and i don't know i found it to be uh very funny and quite lovely but more than anything else i think it's for as much as you highlight the comedy i i find this to be just a tremendously sad film and i i mean i definitely recommend it i think it's it's a very good film but the, the the sadness the melancholy of it is what really lingers with me more than anything yeah, I think um, I should have seen this coming, that there would be a movie that would really split us down the middle of like what our two, you know, what, you know, what's like two sides of the same coin or some kind of, because I always feel like you and I have like a very profound difference when it comes to like what we get out of movies, even the ones that we both like. And I had a feeling that's what would happen with this because I come it away from funny. it. Yeah, and I would say it is sad, <laughs> but like I certainly I'm a little bit country, you're a little bit rock and roll, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I for whatever reason I came out of this movie just kind of feeling like all of the sadness was beatable, I guess, or surmountable. I guess because it is a movie that takes place in the past and it kind of covers a conflict that's already been resolved. To me, although this feels to me like such a better version of a movie like Belfast, which is trying to do somewhat of the same thing where it's sort of reflecting on Irish history to sort of explain the human condition in a way, but doing it through like the, the fable of a, a director's biography. In this movie, it's like using original characters and it's kind of taking the piss a little bit out of that kind of movie making in a way, which I think is just uh, much more interesting. Uh, not Not to lambast belfast or anything i don't i don't hate that movie at all but uh, yeah, i think it's certainly not as good yeah. um yeah. but I, I again i think it's like this is the kind of movie where i get way more out of the soul of that conflict the irish civil war without seeing it than i did in belfast the way that it covered the troubles if that makes sense because like yeah you kind of see the the strife and the turmoil and it's like it's like we're going through today like that kind of thing but this movie i i don't i feel it more than i see it which is what I want from a movie. I don't want to just be spoon-fed a History Channel's version of, you know, the historical account of what happened. I want to see the character. I want to be in the character's shell. That to me is what a movie should be. Movie shouldn't, unless it's a documentary, but that's not what this is, right? So. Sure. Well, I think one thing for me that really works with this movie and why I think it uh, serves as an improvement over Three Billboards is because 
throughout, and this is something I didn't expect going into the movie, there's a sort of uh, folktale quality to it. Like, it's kind of like your years, you know, mysticism and this kind of whimsical aspect of it. And so there is a way to kind of look at it in an abstract way. Like, you're kind of hearing like an old, you know, uh, sea shanty or something about like these two banshees of Asherin and it's like this is what happened and like it is able to kind of like play up the um you know kind of like the I don't want to say goofiness but like kind of just like the the heightened low stakes as it were kind of an oxymoron thing to say but you know like this kind of heightened you know even though it's very central to two characters in their small town there there's a lot of play there's a lot that's happening emotionally here but yeah, there's also just like sense of like there's almost they're doomed to this fate that mm-hmm. they they are aware of but can't really process or understand either due to their own uh you know biases or their own limits of intelligence or their lack of awareness of the world around them or their desire to want to have a lack of awareness of the world around yeah, them. Yeah, it's it's a movie about how absurd people can behave when they're lonely, when they're put up against a corner and they're in a situation where they really have no support system, no emotional support system, or they feel stuck in sand. And as a result, they will lash out and do things that just make no sense. Because I think that's what's so interesting about the movie. When you go into it, I think a lot of people will probably immediately connect with Colm the most and be like, hey, you know, yeah, maybe he's being a little bit harsh, but why in the world is Patrick just like not getting over this? Like, move on, dude. Like, he's just not that into you anymore. Um, I think a lot of the audience will connect immediately with the Brendan Gleeson character for that reason. But over time, you start to kind of, I don't know, you start, maybe this is just me, you start to feel with Patrick like, oh, you know, like there's something deeper going on here that he can't move on and it's not his fault. And, you know, there's something to be said about like, what this is what happens when your main character is kind of a dull guy. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's sympathy there. I mean, I think I don't know. I I took it more the opposite. I guess I I initially found Colm more sympath or sorry, I found Patrick more sympathetic than Colm because so yeah, you know, I knew he, it. I, this is just <laughs> different. Because I mean, I, human beings, I get, huh? throughout the film, I get Gleason's perspective. Like I can see why he would be annoyed by him, but it's also just like he has those expressive eyebrows, and he's just like, "You were my friend yesterday." Like why are you like why are you not my friend today? We just want we're just gonna hang out at the pub. We're not you know it's and he's also just like if I said something when I was drunk like I'll, I'll just apologize for it. Why can't we just like move on past this? Like what what's the barrier of entry here? And it's um yeah I think I, I, I know feel what like, the problem is it's I, I'm the calm in this friendship and you're the Patrick. I don't know. I mean I can. <laughs> no, just kidding. That's not true at all. Well, I don't know. I'm not I, a depressed fiddler, and you're not a dull person. So no, I don't know. I mean, but but there's also uh, Barry Kino's character, who I think initially I was a little weary Barry of him because sorry, Barry Keegan. Um, I was initially I sort of weary. Kino's. I was like, what about his? I was a little weary initially of his performance because it, it's a lot more ticky. It's a lot more kind of like exaggerated. He's uh, sliding out of his Green Knight performance a little bit, and yeah, I was like, gonna say it did remind <laughs> me of his like. That that little uh, bastard he played in uh, in Green Knight is just like oh no what 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 mischief and buffoonery is this guy gonna do? <laughs> um, but no, I mean his character. I mean I I, I if it, it I don't want to say too much about the scene, but there's also you know Carrie uh, uh, Condon is in the film. Oh, she's wonderful uh, in this, and she's also great too. And I think I, I think those characters really tie together. But there's a scene between the two of them that I think without that scene, I feel like the movie. I, I as much as I liked it before, I feel like that scene really 
ties it together. And I don't know how much I can say about that without yeah, getting yeah. into well, spoilers. But I did I did want to mention, you know, how this is such a platonic movie. It's about platonic relationships. And like you say there that, is like, but like yeah, one I mean, there's one instance where there it, someone tries to insert romance and Martin McDonough is like, nah, that this is not the time. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that was something I was talking about with my friend, too, is that, like, there is, like, uh, so much a lack of sexuality in the film outside yeah. of uh, Barry Kino's character. Nobody and then talks to, about sexuality. Right, nobody nobody, about sex. Yeah, there's no kids. Nobody, nobody has I mean, kids. I mean, there's obviously, uh, you know, some murmurs around town about why, why Carrie uh, Condon's character isn't, you know, wedded and has a husband. But, like, no one seems to think it's odd that uh you know colin farrell or brendan gleason's characters aren't married you know especially given uh brendan gleason's age and like i kept waiting throughout the movie be like is there gonna be acknowledgement of like a widow or like you know lost love or something or you know maybe something had happened you know later in life but no i just i mean that's my favorite thing about it is like Mm -hmm. not they eh, so many movies like use romance to drive plot and it's not that that's wrong it's not like that doesn't happen it's just it's so overdone it's just refreshing to see yeah. a movie that just sort of ignores it and it's just like there are other things going on in people's lives besides romance well i took it kind of uh, as an extension of that folktale quality is that like there is an obvious like interior life to these characters but their core sense of being in this film as well as far as how we see and are told the story relates to this conflict which you know is, is something that even these characters don't really understand but it's being serviced as a kind of greater metaphor that they're caught in and don't even really want to be a part of, but they have to, cause that's just, I, I see it. Different. I see are. it. I see it differently. I see it more of like, it's McDonough trying so hard to get rid of the mentality that if Patrick or Colum just found love, right. If they just, you know, whether it be, you know, with each other, who knows, but no, like even like, uh, this, the normal heteronormative kind of like get married, have a kid and all that stuff. It would not solve what ails them. Like Patrick, I don't think like if he had a wife, he wouldn't be happy. And I think the movie even like kind of shows this like he has like such a strong affection and kinship with animals. And there it's brought up multiple times in the film of just like, what do you need Colin for? You have your donkey, <laughs> you know, and he's just sort of like it, it's more intrinsic to who he is as a person to love and be loved that it goes way beyond just like settling down and all of that because every movie's about that. No, I think that's true. And I, I, yeah, it did kind of remind me of, um, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to the uh, WTF with Mark Maron, where he interviewed uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. They talk about the master and he's just like, I just kept being like waiting, you know, and just like, why don't they just kiss already? <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is just like, yeah, you know, now that I think about it, I probably should have. <laughs> but uh, part of me like kept at several moments, it's like, oh, you know, what would happen if these two just, you know kissed but i think intrinsically you know that that lack of romanticism is very pointed and you know obviously deliberate to like what's going on here and in i mean i I think there is some truth to what you're saying but i i think more than that though is just about this idea of like what is a life lived and you know Mm -hmm. for that's what uh, ups the stakes of a friendship ending because normally in in a different movie if both characters are married and the stakes are their friendship ends you're like well they had they got their spouses uh that's not the case here Mm mm-hmm but like, like, is a life great because 
there's a legacy to it or is a life great because you made a good impact on people's lives and yeah. you aren't remembered, you know, in the, the grand, you know, oasis of life, but you, you, you did good and you made people happy and you brought, that's the you inherent know, conflict. Happy. Yeah. Right. And that's the inherent conflict. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, is intrinsic to, I think most people's lives. Cause obviously it's not, you know, I'm not telling tales out of school here to say that, you know, most great artists were not great people. You know, like, you know, you'll hear like, oh, like, you know, they made these great books, you know, or, you know, great music, great films, whatever. But, you know, they were a horrid person and, you know, they, they treated the people they love very badly and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, uh, I think you can be a great person and a great artist. It's not, you know, mutually exclusive, but there is that sense of like, does it matter, you know, in the scheme of things? Like, would you, would it be better to make great art or just be a great person? And th I think the inherent sadness of, or one of the inherent sadnesses of the film is that these characters can't see the possibility for both in either of their lives because they're so limited in their perspective. Even someone like Brendan Gleeson's character who, you know, thinks very intrinsically and very deeply about things in his work. He just can't, he just can't imagine, you know, uh, being, you know, a great person and having that fulfilled life with great music because he, he feels he needs that kind of sadness in a way. Like he kind of needs that loneliness, that ache to, to be great. Well, yeah, he doesn't believe in art for art's sake. Right. Which I think that there are different artists who do art for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I've personally, you know, I've always been the kind of person where I, I think legacy is cool. And I think it, it, it would be like a nice accident, but it's not something that you can really force or try to, you know, try just expect because yeah, people are just going to forget you, man. Like it's just going to happen. Like, even if you have kids, even, you know, everything, all of this too shall pass, but you know, living life in the moment. I think that's why I connect with Patrick so much uh, because I do think that he is a kind of character who understands that it's about who you're with and it's about what you do right now. And I, that really connects. Whereas I think that Colm just has this sort of like, my life is meaningless if a hundred years from now, people aren't talking about something I created, which to me is like, who cares about them? Like <laughs> you don't know them and you're probably not really going to affect their lives that much anyway. Uh, you're not Mozart, <laughs> you know, like it's just one right. of those things where I think that's why ultimately I come away from it, not as melancholic because I think the movie is, it, I don't think the movie picks a side necessarily. I think it's no, I closer think so. to what you're saying. It's like, you know, the potential for both is great, but I do think it is taking real aim at like people who really only get into art because for, I think for the wrong reasons or for reasons that aren't really going to fulfill them, maybe wrong reasons, the too harsh well, a word. I guess where I find Colin's character so sad, and it's something I think that uh, is noted but not always said it so explicitly in the film, is that he just doesn't have what it takes to be a great artist. Like, he can make, at times, beautiful music, but not everything we hear from him is all that great. Like, he just mm -hmm. doesn't. And I think the problem, ultimately, uh, it kind of comes down to the title of the movie, which is the name of one of the songs he makes, is that he doesn't really have anything to say. Like, he doesn't have anything in his life that really communicates something vital to his life. That's something he needs to like kind of let out. I yeah. think that is we, we talked about that on Mad Men men, right? Sure. Like the Mad Men has this real uh, affinity for how true art and creativity comes from honesty, right? right? It's like, it comes from you finding that place within that has something to say. And he probably has that. It's just that he doesn't, he doesn't know how to right. access it, which you but, know that's tragic, yeah. but that happens. Mm -hmm. But I love that, like, I feel like a lesser movie would have made him, like, either, like, this great violinist who, like, yeah, yeah. has the potential, but, you know, just is held back by his friends. 
or they would have made it like, oh, he is actually like a really terrible musician, but he gets better as, uh, you know, he spends less time with Colin Farrell, whatever. But it's yeah. kind of like there's a, there's a scene in the, in the second draft or like the earlier draft where he goes viral. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But like, Colin, you're not going to believe this. You got a hundred thousand views on TikTok. Yeah. Or it's like the Back to Future thing. It's like you may not understand it, but your kids will or something. Um, <laughs> but no, I think it's like he he's like at best like pretty good, but you know, like not like an amazing violinist like he he has potential to you know like improve or expand but like his work will probably it, it doesn't have what he needs to like live on or to be yeah. great to really and it's something i think that he is inherently insecure and aware of but mm-hmm. wants to push past it and i think that's the inherent sorrow of his character yeah i agree i i agree with that so it, it is funny how we can both kind of come away from it with similar but different takes that uh, I don't think really conflict with each other. Uh, so I think that is the beauty of this movie, though. I, I think it's the beauty of Martin McDonough's writing in general. I think that mm. he's always been such a wonderful storyteller, even just in the dialogue. I mean, his dialogue is always so crisp. You know, it can mm-hmm. be very curt. You know, there are times when a character will say something, I want more, you know, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the beauty of it. It's it's in the brevity yeah. with him. But I also, and, yeah. yeah, but I also, I mean, I think, this was an issue they had with um, Seven Psychopaths. I think he's kind of pushed away from uh, with this movie. Is that like I, I liked that the dialogue? It's snappy and it's witty, but it doesn't feel like too writerly. Like it, it feels like these are things that characters could say. Like it's smart about like what they're saying about dumb characters or a lot of dumb characters, but it doesn't feel like it's like too like prose or like too like yeah. thought through like it feels kind of honest to what these characters would be saying but also being very writerly at the same time and i just think that's a uh an incredibly hard thing to pull off as a writer and i, I applaud him for it i very much agree very much agree uh i i did want to bring up ben davis the cinematographer here who we've talked about ben davis i mean he has one of the most one of the strangest careers in hollywood I think um, now he did work on three billboards. He was a cinematographer for that, but I mean, he's a big Marvel guy. Uh, he's done a lot of the Marvel movies. Funny enough, he's done a lot of the Marvel movies that people don't criticize for how they look movies like Eternals and Dr. Strange and guardians of the galaxy. But uh, certainly in this movie, it, it is a striking difference, you know, in how simplistic it is in terms of we're not watching something I hear that it's not flashy at all and i think for the right reasons i just kind of get the sense that this is the kind of like lack of color palette that we would have seen in a movie he didn't do like captain america civil war but kind of works the movie's favor um but yeah i think that as usual i i just love films that really take place in ireland like they really like celebrate the lavish like you know countryside of ireland yeah. and, and the way that it could just be so diverse like it can be so beautiful even though it's foggy and rainy like that to right. me is it's such a weird sort of uh contradiction almost yeah but i also like that as far as cinematography goes um you know it, it, it is hard to make ireland look bad <laughs> like it's more notable when it looks bad than good but well it's, it's hard so to many... make it look it's not sunny right and so it's hard mm-hmm. you can't ha- it can't have like the standard sort of like beauty but it has sure. its own beauty that i think is inherent to what it is as a place well but yeah, but there are so many different shots in this movie that aren't flashy, but they're very composed and they're kind of painterly in a way. And I, I really like about that. I don't know. Like, I read I read a tweet where somebody said the compositions yeah. in this movie were. 
Uh, don't uh, date this podcast with some tweet that people don't even know about because we don't even know Twitter will be around by the time this uh, review yeah, comes out. They can't look it up. They can't, yeah. yeah. I mean, on that yeah. note, I mean, look, I've come across some criticisms of this movie where people are like, ah, it ain't for me, you know? Um, I, personally, I just think that I, I can't agree. I think it's one of the best of the year. Uh, so I, you know, do, do you hold it in high estimation or do you think this is a movie where you're, you kind of can see why it's, it's probably not going to sway, you know, the, the edgelords of, you know, film school in 2022, people in their late teens. Yeah. You know, I put a lot of stock into what the edgelords of, uh, yeah. of, uh, letterbox say Everybody as far as it. my, yeah. my end of the year list. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I imagine it'll probably be in, in my best of the year list. I don't really know where, but I, I'll have to mull about it a little bit more. I'm kind of in a similar position as I, I was pretty fresh off the tar. movie. I, yeah. I saw it a while ago. So, yeah, I, yeah, I've had time to really decide. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of caught in the melancholy of it still. And mm. uh, I don't know. Who knows? Know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the a- clouds will part for you and you'll, <laughs> you'll have your answer. You know? Yeah. But yeah, because we didn't really even talk about like some of the, the sadder stuff as far as like Carrie Condon's character and mm. uh, Barry Kino's character. I, I think they're, like I said, they're kind of the true heart of the film. Uh, and I, I, I love how, uh, you know, the nuance that Carrie Condon's character plays like someone like the one sensible minded person <laughs> in town <laughs> who, uh, you know, like recognizes that, you know, there, there is a lot of happiness to be found on this island, but it will be you can't really live a fulfilled and an honest life within. You kind of have to move on and, and explore the world, and that this like civil war would only divide in between. And that you know, it's mm-hmm. it, you have to go elsewhere, and and she has you know a chance to kind of give other characters that opportunity, and you know, so many of them are just kind of clouded in this perception of like they can only be here. This is just what their life is. They're so short sighted yeah. about what life is that they just can't. Even when the opportunity presents itself, they just can't go there. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's a, well, it's sad. It's sad, but you know, here's what pushes it over the top for me. Like really mm. pushes it to being a valuable movie just for me personally. And that's, well, I think it's valuable even if it, it, it you know, even if it's sad, you know? Yeah. But I mean, like even just outside of that, I think like, uh, you know, outside the sadness, I do think that there's uh, a hope to it that goes beyond the sadness because really the central hook of the movie, like how it relates to our current time. Right. Yes. Like, yeah, it takes place in the 1920s, but it's it's about how everything was fine yesterday. It seemed yeah. like things were great for at least some people, but there was this like burning sort of like resentment and loneliness and sadness that wasn't being addressed. And I think sure. that is so true to today. You know, it's like a lot of us, you know, in 2022 feel like things not that long ago were going okay. You know, maybe they weren't the best, but they were fine. And I think this is a movie about how you know. Probably wasn't that great, you know, but there is a chance for us to kind of move on and make some changes and do something a little bit different. And so I think that's that's why I come out of it being like that's why the comedy is effective to me. That's why I think its focus on platonic relationships is so effective because those are the most common relationships we have, you know, unless you're polyamorous and so you get you get a you get a feast of uh, non platonic. But for most of us, that's not the case. And so okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm being inclusive, Lash. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think that a lot of people might find themselves watching this movie and maybe getting that sadness. But I hope, uh, you know, I hope people at least give at least some room for this movie to have its more hopeful message. Right? I do think it's there, but certainly it's uh, it's all subjective, right? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody recently. I forget it was you or another person about uh, ambiguous endings. And mm-hmm. I, I won't 
talk about what happens in this movie uh, as far as the ending is concerned. But you see a movie like this or you see a movie like Tar that that ends on a somewhat ambiguous note, but it also feels very definitive. Like it feels like there's room for interpretation as far as what's going to happen from this point forward. But it's also clear, like uh, in this case, Martin McDonough, I think he has a very clear point about what he, he wanted said and how he said it. And like, even if we don't know where things are going to go from that point forward, we got, we know everything we need to know about the characters to kind of make our conclusion. And that it's not like, it's ambiguous enough to where it's not clear cut, but it's defined enough to where it's not like anything in a way that, uh, like I personally felt like the ending of Triangle of Sadness was ambiguous uh, without real clean composure as far as like, it, it felt like in my, in my opinion, uh, Oslin, the director of that film, this was like, well, you kind of make your ending. It can be what kind of whatever you want it to be. You know, I, I, I gave you the breadcrumbs. You can kind of, or, or more accurately, I gave you kind of like three of the puzzle pieces. You can kind of put them together how you want. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. felt like, I don't know, that's to me, it's kind of the difference between like a good ambiguous ending and a bad ambiguous ending. To me, this is a very good example of a good ambiguous ending. All right. Well, I think that's a good place then to end it since we're talking about the ending. Sure. Banshees but of Insurance. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say not before we play the Rotten Tomatoes game. That's true. That's true. Uh, so it is playing in limited release. It might still be playing in your area now. It's it's been out since late October. So uh, I'm not sure how you know widespread it is at this point. But uh, as a movie, it's done okay. It's made 16.6 million dollars. Uh, I my guess is that the budget was something like 16.6 dollars. Uh, I'm just kidding. Of course, it was probably in the millions, but uh, it's done well. And uh, I think that we are going to see even more box office and releases for it as award season comes up if it gets nominations, which uh, I think is very possible uh, and, and kind of likely at this point, uh, depend based on the, some of the other stuff that uh, I'm seeing this award season. I, I got to be honest, I haven't been super impressed uh, by a lot of awards movies lately, but uh, that could change very soon. Now, this is Searchlight. So uh, I did want to point that out just in case anybody's like, you know, is this playing like other countries and everything? I think it's getting a good distribution in the UK and Ireland and all of that. Um, and Searchlight's usually pretty good about that sort of thing. So yeah, that's Banshees of Inishir. And I guess we want to play the Rotten Tomatoes game, Mr. Will. Sure. Let's do it. All right. Well, we have 252 reviews counted. That is a lot of reviews for this movie. I'm heartened by that. Uh, I'm one of them, and you know I'm positive, so you get a hint there. Will Ashton, what is your best guess for the Rotten Tomato score as we, as of this recording? Uh, I am going to say 95%. No, it is not 95%. You are off by three. Does that mean it's 92? Or does that mean it's 98? 98%. You went with your heart, and you chose the number that... Maybe part of you thought it's not as likely, but you wanted it to be true. And okay. in this case, it paid off because okay. that is correct. 98%. It was at 100% for a while. And then said edgelords that we were referencing earlier, bless them, love them. They'll get, they'll get what's coming to them. We know it. Um, they they just, said, you know what? Forget this movie. I just want them to find peace. Yeah. They, they won't find it in this movie. They'll find some stirrings. But uh, yeah, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Most people are coming out and saying like, you know what? Banshees of Inisherin, you can haunt me all day. 
What about the audience score? We have 250 plus verified ratings. What are, what are audiences saying about this one, Malash? What's your guess? Uh, if I had to guess, I would say 88%. It is lower. It is lower. Now, how much lower do you think it is? Do you think it's still in the 80s or do you think it's in the 70s? I, I'll say it's not in the 60s or 50s, but how much lower do you think it is? I'm going to guess uh, 79%. 75 Oh, okay. Audiences are taking one look at this. And you know what? I'll tell you what they're saying because Rod Tomato says that now, as audience says. We don't do the critics' consensus. Who cares? Audience says, if you don't mind a slow, sad story, I don't mind. Uh, the Banshees of Inisherin is worth watching thanks to gorgeous scenery and some terrific acting. So Slow? I, didn't, I don't know. I, I, I thought this was I pretty, it was pretty well paced. I think it's yeah. because people look at a movie where, you know, there isn't like death and violence in every scene and they're just like, this is the slow stuff. Um, I mean, that's a bit of a, you know. No, that's fair because, well, like, mean, in the sense but, that you know, Martin McDonough, like his other three films are extremely, you know, gory and violent, and so this one, you know, it, they're certainly, you know, you know, not everyone ends up the, mm-hmm. you know, the some people end up worse for wear, I'll say, but you know, it's it's not in, uh, it's not an excessively violent film. So maybe if you have certain expectations for what you're going to get yeah. out of a Martin McDonough film, that you may not meet them here. Funny enough. Um, so I said, I was joking around before about like edgelords. Uh, so there are six negative reviews and none of them are from edgelords. They're all from like established critics that I can tell. And one of them is for the okay. San Francisco Chronicle. He was at my screening. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah, he was yeah. Nick LaSalle. Crossing, you know, uh, great, great, crossing great, 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 great. his arms. And just yeah, he's like, crossing his arms a bit. He didn't like it. That's fine. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not too surprised. Like I, I like his work, but I, you know, we don't agree all the time. And, uh, but yeah, let's, let's go to, uh, I actually, I don't know. Let me double check the uh, cinema score. I don't think there is. No, there's not. Uh, but we do have letterboxd. Okay. Would you bring that guy on the show? No, definitely not. Okay. That would be awkward. Well, I mean, that would just be like kind of, yeah, no, let's not do it. Okay. Well, if you're listening, sorry, chum. Yeah. Sorry, Mick. There's no <laughs> way in hell he's listening. Um, okay. Uh, so <laughs> letterboxd. Now we have 77,000 watches. Also a very high number for a movie like this. Uh, well, what do you think the average rating is out of five? Uh, 4.3. Very close. 4.2. Well done. Well done. Yeah. 4.2, which is very, very high. That's one of the highest uh, of the year that you and I have talked about much higher than, uh, the average. And, uh, this is, uh, I think the third or fourth movie we've talked about that's hit the top 250 in letterbox this year. Uh, so those movies have included like everything, everywhere, all at once. I think there was one kind of recently. Uh, I forget which, but uh, that was on this in that zone. Uh, but this is number two hundred and six in the Letterbox Top two hundred and fifty, which is cool to see. But uh, yeah, um, I'm seeing lots of people on my timeline have watched it, uh, and I'm not seeing a lot of negative reviews. Yeah, I'm seeing like a, a three here, you know, and a you know Abby Olchessy, former co-host of the show, gave it a three, uh, but she did give it a heart as well. So I think she was kind of. You know, I think in Will Ashen fashion, admiring it more than, you know, liking it, right? That that how you usually say it? Uh, sure, close enough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other than that, actually, I don't see a single two and a half. I just see like a, a half star um, from if you want, one person. Uh, if you want some negative I don't. reviews, <laughs> uh, I can pull up my letterbox and I'm sure there's going to be a couple. I mean, uh, Isaac Felberg, friend of the show, gave it three and a half. That might as well be four and a half, right? Hmm. Let's see here. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Um, my old, uh, 
playlist editor in chief or uh, editor Kevin Juggernaut gave it two stars. Oh wow! Well, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, not too many. I, I saw so next week like, on the show. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we have plenty of things, uh, plenty of choices for us this week. Um, Fablemans, we could always talk about a little early, or we could talk about Glass Onion. Um, obviously, would love to talk about a little movie called Strange World because <laughs> I think sure. that would be an interesting discussion. Lot, lots of yeah. choose from, but uh, yeah, if you have a specific request, let us know via social media and all that good stuff. Uh, is there any chance you could see Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be playing. Uh, I missed it's my screening. Near me. I might go see that after we record this episode. Yeah, but you live in a fictional place. There are okay. no rules where you live. But uh, sure. I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Okay. All right. But uh, we'll see you all on the next episode of Cinemaholics on episode oh, 300. Yeah. Can't believe it. We'll see you then. Uh, from the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.